Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion. Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, the radio show and podcast for those who won't just take things on faith. Coming to you from Grand Rapids, Michigan, where if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. You can find us online at www.doubtcast.org, or those of you in West Michigan can listen to us on Public Reality Radio, WPRR, 1680 AM, Ada, Grand Rapids, or you can all listen to us streaming live at publicrealityradio.org. My name is Dave Fletcher. With me in the studio are my fellow Doubtcasters, Dr. Professor Luke Galen. If I'm in West Michigan and I'm German, that means I'm squirming. And uh, Jeremy Bean. Um, I'm I'm Irish, so uh, so no clogs yeah. for me. Uh, I am Dutch, so I am much. I I don't know. I don't know. That's my. Opinion. Anyways, that's one for the locals. Yeah. Uh, so this week, because we got a a email recently. Well, it wasn't. Too recent that we got the email, but we are getting to it. Uh, listener Emily wrote us saying, I officially request for more women's issues to be brought up in discussion. Religion and the oppression of women go hand in hand, and you guys seem to shy away from bringing up anything along these lines. And since we're all in touch with our feminine sides. We're you know, pretty, I, we're pretty I, girly as far as guys. We, I, I was going to say, as far as testosterone levels go... Uh, we uh, we have less than DJ Grothy, the three of us combined. So, um, okay, you know, I I just want to say I, I think we do talk about women's issues on the show. I, I uh, think I, so too. I think all our discussion of of abortion mm-hmm. and uh, uh, birth control and and that sort of thing. I mean, I think I think a lot of those things touch on women's issues because typically women are the ones that end up suffering most from organized religion so right yeah. and, and yeah. i think we i think we talk about that, that a lot it is true we've never devoted a, a entire episode to discussing women and their plight in religion often right. so that's what we're doing this time yeah and we're actually going to do it like an episode of the view so we're all just going to talk over each other no no that, Dave, that is no. Uh, you know i'm sorry let's have a guys version of a women's show we're going to cover cooking and cleaning today dick clark already did that oh. Oh my God! Already, our women's show has been the most sexist thing we've done, and we're only a few minutes into it. Actually, you know, I, I because this this raised my ire quite a bit. We had a blog comment recently. There was a, a blog comment from a female listener, of which we have many. I would say about half of our emails and and so forth are coming from women. I, I don't think it's quite half, but uh, I, I'd say but it's knowing it's the close. statistics of how the gender breakdown in our movement is. We have a remarkable amount of female. Yes. Uh, I have a PhD, and I'll add up how many there are, and I'll get back to you on that. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do another Everybody survey. Everybody here who is a graduate course There'll statistics, raise your hand. There's one hand in the studio. It's so, mine. Um, anyway, so yes. we had a, a female listener respond to an episode, and then a male listener responded after that, oh, my gosh, a female listener. You guys need to jump on this. And uh, um, apparently her? assuming – that we did not have many female listeners, which um, is not the case. So let's uh, let's get right into our women's issues. Uh, where do we start? 
How about Afghanistan? Why not? Where women's rights are at the forefront. <laughs> yeah. The forefront of the line for the chopping block. We do have colored burqas, you know. Yes, this is coming from the Associated Press. Critics assail Afghan law that legalizes rape. Wow. The article begins, a new Afghan law makes it legal for men to rape their wives, human rights groups and some Afghan lawyers, lawmakers have said Thursday, accusing President Hamid Karzai of signing the legislation to bolster his reelection prospects. Okay, so how is it that this legislation actually legalizes rape? First of all, this legislation is only aimed at Afghanistan's Shiite community. So that's 20 percent of the country's 30 million people. Uh, mm-hmm. The law doesn't affect Afghan Sunnis. Uh, the reason why this is aimed towards the Shiite community is recognizing the conflicts there. There are provisions in Afghanistan's constitution to allow uh, uh, Shiites to kind of enact their own religious right. laws. Right. There's, there's some permission for that. Anyways, uh, Article 132 of the law says, quote, as long as the husband is not traveling, he has the right to have sexual intercourse with his wife every fourth night. As long as he's not traveling, he has the right to have sex with his wife every fourth night. Every fourth night. Wow. All right. So that's the way you want to live. Yeah. Unless, yeah, if you treat him better, you might get sex more often. Which for right? some of us are, is much less and others of us much, much more. <laughs> um you know, showing their their charity towards the fairer sex, uh, they they say unless the wife is ill or has any kind of illness that intercourse could aggravate. Oh, so she has some say in the matter. But the law says, "quote The wife is bound to give a positive response to the sexual desires of her husband." Now, women have some rights too. Uh, the law also says that a man should not avoid having sexual relations with his wife longer than once every four months. Oh, so <laughs> so if she wants it, the most she can be forced to wait is four months. Yeah, yeah, whereas he, he has to wait at least four days according to the law. Nice, nice. I'm wondering, do they make allowance for polygamy here? I mean, uh, do some of these uh, in the Shiite community, do they have more than one wife too? Yeah, good question. So like does he have to distribute his uh, duties uh, amongst a well, bunch of women? Well, if he has four women, he can have he's sex got every, every night. night. Yeah. He just rotates like the uh, the big love people. I suppose. Yes. From house to house. I suppose. Well, um, the United Nations Development Fund for Women said that the law legalizes the rape of a wife by her husband. The law violates women's rights and human rights in numerous ways. You know, this comes after all this talk about how Afghanistan, our, our new democracy that we yes. put in so. Afghanistan, in other words, the new democracy we've installed in Kabul, mm. uh, because that's about the only place where – that government has any sort of power. Um, the big argument is it's been a success because look at all the women in parliament. Look at now how women have educational opportunities and yet laws like this can still be passed right. in Afghanistan. Well, and the fact that it was passed to bolster his reelection campaign. Yeah. That's what I mean, they this think. is a popular – you know, whether or not think. it actually will – uh, one of the uh, – to even say that we think that this is going to help bolster his election campaign says a lot about 
this culture. Well, the difference between what what goes in Kabul and what goes out in the provinces is like it's worse than this in Texas. I mean, it's like they well, have, you know, and that's why. And get, you know what? Get used to more things like this because when Karzai's in trouble, he's going to have to do more and more conservative things. Mm-hmm. Just like the Obama administration is changing from this idealism of the Bush days by by saying we're going to turn it into this westernized democracy where there's right. going to be women's rights and human rights, it's not going to happen. And the, and there's going to be more things like this where they're basically going to concede to local sensibilities by saying you guys can run the show. Just don't bomb us, but you can run the show however you want. And that's going to include women, right. oppressing women. Well, the AP doesn't share the whole story. Uh, Spiegel Online did some great reporting on this. And I, my hat's off to the German press. I, I, I don't know much about Spiegel. Uh, Spiegel. But, not Spiegel. Sorry. Uh, but judging from this article, I, I liked how they, they – they didn't have any sort of problem making judgments about the matter. Nice. <laughs> they didn't try to just present it as, you know, oh, equal sides, everything. Wow, the press um, actually has some balls now. Yeah. That, that must be a German thing. That's a sexist thing to say. <clears throat> the women are much more, you know, Valkyries over there. So yeah, yeah, that is true. Um, oh, gosh. I, just again, I, to our female <laughs> listeners, I apologize so much. We have earned capital. Our, the years of this show, we have earned capital in the female community, and we're going to collect. Oh, God. This <laughs> was supposed to be our women's episode, and this is what it's become. Okay, th- we're just going to continue on because we can't re-record this. Article 133 of the, of the law is almost just as bad. Actually, I would argue it probably is, is even worse. Quote, the husband can stop the wife from any unnecessary act. A sexual act or just any unnecessary act? Uh, any unnecessary act because it goes on to require wives to get permission of their husbands before they leave the house except in cases of emergency. Wow. Um, it changes the legal age of marriage for Shiite women, uh, reduces it down to age 16, which I, I don't think is too which terribly is better than, repressive, than, but still – yeah, well, that stuff is pretty much par for the course, though, isn't it? I mean, in that tribal culture, they... It's consistent with what some passages of the Quran right. uh, say say about the, the role of women. Yeah. That's what they the, have to the, do. The What's idea of legalizing that? rape and, uh, you know, forcing women to have relations with their husbands every four days. So Sirah 2, verse 222 says, They ask thee concerning women's courses... Say they are a hurt and a pollution. So keep away from women in their courses and do not approach them until they are clean. Carrying on, of course, that very Abrahamic tradition of being afraid of menstruation. But when they have purified themselves, you may approach ye may approach them in any manner, time, or place. Going down to verse two twenty three, it says, "Your wives are a tilth." Unto you, so approach your tilth when or how you will. So, in other words, a man is just sowing his seed, and he can do this whenever he wants, as often as he wants. Uh, go down a few verses to verse two twenty-six. Uh, from those who take an oath from abstention from their wives, awaiting for four months is ordained. If they then return, God is oft forgiving, most merciful. So that's where they get the whole uh, women are entitled to sex uh, every four months. Why the inequality? Well, if you go to verse 228, they explain that as well. And women shall have rights similar to the rights against them according to what is equitable, but 
men have a degree of advantage over them, and God is exalted in power and wise. Really, uh, things seem to be going great in Afghanistan. And the poppies. Well, you don't need to go all the way to Afghanistan to encounter a a rigid patriarchal view of the family. You're talking about Canada, aren't you? No, I'm talking about right here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We made the press again. Oh, sweet. We're uh, It's always for good things. I I know. And and what are we up to this time here in Grand Rapids? Something scientific, perhaps? Intellectual achievement? Perhaps it's the, yeah, all the medical uh, buildings that are going in place downtown Grand Rapids. My research at the university? Uh, No, we're being mentioned by NPR for our connection to the Quiverful movement. The Quiverful movement? This is, is this a new thing? Because I'm not familiar with this. Is this the Olympic archery team is practicing here? The title is, In Quiverful Movement, Birth Control is Shunned. This aired on Morning Edition, March 25th, 2009. Mm -hmm. Among some conservative Christians, a movement is giving new meaning to the biblical mandate to be fruitful and multiply. I would argue that it's just uh, the original meaning. I don't see how this is anything new. Uh, But the the article goes on to say, The movement called Quiverful is based on Psalm 127, which says, Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. This, of course, is referring to a movement that's becoming quite popular amongst uh, um, mostly Protestant Christians. Arguably, it's been popular with the Catholics for years. I I was going to say, how is this different from the Catholic Church? Yes, well, this is uh, the Quiverful movement shuns birth control. The belief is that God is going to naturally decide how many children you're going to have. So when you stop getting pregnant, that's when God that, says you've had enough. You're cut off. The local connection is that they interview Kelly and Jeff Swanson, members of this Quiverful movement, uh, who live here in uh, Grand Rapids. And, and how full is their quiver? Just seven children at this moment. Oh, well. Uh, they got one more on the way. They say that they first uh, they didn't actually want to have children, and then so they began don't... to read. They began to read the Bible and realized how popular big families are in the Bible. Because uh, and they died before the age of three most of the time. Or throw their littlest ones in the well. Yeah. <laughs> well, they decided that God knew how many children they should have. Uh, here's a quote. We just started thinking God is sovereign over life and death. God opens and closes the womb. That's what but, his word says. So we're trying to fiddle around with controlling ourselves we need to stop doing that. And just have sex all the time? or and, and Because isn't, isn't choosing when and how often to have sex a, a form of birth control? Well, that just – that happens right next in the article. Mm. They said that neighbors have noticed that they're trying to take care of six children on less than $50,000 a year. And neighbors mentioned to them, quote, uh, do you know what causes this? Alleging to sex, of course. Here's the response. Uh, That's always been my favorite one when I'm pregnant, Kelly says. And my husband has a lovely response. Of course we know what causes it. We practice all the time. End quote. But um bum Way to go, Grand Rapids. Now, what makes this interesting, though, is that a lot of uh, other evangelicals uh, are into things like um, 
fertility treatments like Octomom type stuff yeah, yeah, where sure. they do it, you know, like the couple in Iowa, I think they had the septuplets, you know, they had mm-hmm. received fertility treatment. But my understanding is that a lot of the quiverful uh, doctrine, if you could call that, is not pro-artificial right. uh, fertility treatment. It's all, all natural. And if you can't reproduce that way, you can adopt. Well, I they guess. come from a very literalist, fundamentalist mindset. <laughs> and any of those those uh, fertility treatments, or at least some of it, if we're talking in vitro fertilization right. and that sort of thing, are going to require the destruction of embryos. Mm-hmm. So, but but the, logic, the logic is uh, God is the one that's dictating how many Children will come out. So, of if we womb. don't have any, that's just as much of yeah, a blessing as it is to have a lot. That's God's declaration. Yes. If you if you mess that up with birth control or fertility enhancements, you're which is a form of birth control. You're taking this into your own hands. But they they do they do promote if you can't have your own anymore to run out and adopt them too. So, I mean, that's not really a, sure that that to expand your quiver, so to speak. It was my my question with some of this is how I mean they give some indications in this and then the article from Friendly Atheist about the book that's come out about Quiverful uh, about oh, there's yeah. some question as to how organized this is or people what's the distinction between people who officially say we're Quiverful types and you know, just people who, and people who just have expanded yeah. families just because that's what they want to do. Right. Well, one one distinctive viewpoint that seems to be part of this Quiverful movement, uh, you could find in Nancy Campbell's book, Be Fruitful and Multiply. Basically, they see having children as kind of a, a weapon against society. I can't find the quote right now, but I remember reading somewhere that wombs are weapons, they said. Aren't they weapon factories? Flinging your cervix? Yeah. Like oh, God. Fling your as as a diaphragm is a discus, so shall ye use your cervix. <laughs> See, usually when I think of weapons, I, I think of male genitalia. Uh, no. you know, and this is this is what's liberating about this yeah, is right. that we're always talking about shoving our penises in people's faces as a phallic weapon, but yeah. now finally the vaginal, uh, the womb, the enclosure area is being used to smack around the secular. So if we use that for a model of weapons, you know, male genitalia is mostly penetrating uh, Mm -hmm. uh, weapons. So would then weapons based on female genitalia would all be based in like snaring and smothering tactics? Well, or the the barrel of the gun that this thing comes out of. If not to get too Freudian. The barrel of a gun is as much of a necessary weapon as the bullet that comes through it. So uh, that sounds very shooting. Eastern. It's shooting the, yeah, I know. I just mean I could do it in haiku if you give me a minute. <laughs> Gently convulsing the uterus. Again, shoots uh, out the baby. Send your hate mail to <laughs> doubtcast at gmail Now here's here's the other thing about this. though, as I was looking up statistics on uh, on on fertility by type of religious belief and things like that, yeah. and they're actually that thing you just read about the it's a weapon is actually that is one way in which they're winning, if you want to call it sure, that, battle absolutely. against secularism. Because even without being members of quiverful movements, the more conservative religious someone is, the more kids they have family size. Yep. And, well, and, and seculars are rock bottom. And, you and, have, they, and they realize it's, it's intentional. It's, it's part of the strategy. Uh, Nancy Campbell says in her book, quote, my greatest impact is through my children. The more children I have, the more ability I have to impact the world for God. And uh, Catherine Joyce, who's written a book that's critical of this movement, is pointing out some of the things that she heard when she interviewed members of the Quiverful movement. Is it called Quiver Bull? <laughs> uh, no. Nice. Uh, quote, if everyone starts having eight children or 12 children, imagine in three generations what we'll be able to do. 
uh, we'll be able to take over both halls of Congress, we'll be able to reclaim sinful cities like San Francisco for the faithful, and we'll be able to wage very effective, massive boycotts against companies that are going against God's will. So it's intentional. The thrust of this movement is to have many children, not just because the Bible demands it, but to actually gain political power and sway over the the attitudes and the laws of of our nation. And, and I'm not sure how responsible this is, but I'm going to call out to our listeners here to fight back and uh, join in. In fact, I I have four children. Well, I was going to say at home, but three of them are actually in the in the office behind the studio. Yeah, uh, Dave, you're getting quite a at quiver the full moment. yourself. Uh, I've got quite the quiver full and, and uh, Chris, their mother, um, and a few of her friends are, are talking about forming a commune where we can raise a bunch of free thought children. Wait, um, you said that was a sweatshop before. Well, <laughs> they're out know, there putting wallets together. I can see them through the window. It's a matter of syntax. Uh, they're making so, freight Gucci bags. Which is the other thing that the Quiverful movement has over us. They, they can do uh, mass production a lot easier. Well, while it's true that us secularists need to breed more, one of the reasons why we often don't is because we're educated. Yep. It's because we, yep. we have uh, serious things that we want to do with our lives, goals for our future, and most people – A lot of um, career-oriented people do not have time to, yeah. to and have that's, families. And that's the debate as I was looking through the literature on fertility this week, fertility and religiosity, is separating out the religion issue, which is one thing, from the education aspect is extremely difficult because mm-hmm. because they're confounded that, that the, the, to the degree to which somebody is secular is they also tend to be higher educated, they marry later, and they have fewer kids. So you have to control all these family size differences between the, the things. So I was looking in like that Pew survey we talked about the other week of what proportion of, of people have in this case, like more than th- three or more kids. Uh, the highest one is actually Mormon. So good job, Mormons. Oh, yeah. and, Not but, surprising. But also really. Pentecostal, like historically, uh, are high. And atheists and agnostics, rock bottom. Except, I'm a statistical anomaly. Except for Hindus. Oh, we're, really? Hindus the, are even lower? Yeah. Uh, probably it, it, because they're professionals. And so, again, they're the ones true. that we have here that are ones that are doctors and things like that. Is that, it's that not that, in India. just in the United States. I yeah. was going to say in India. No they, way. They just run out of space. Nope. The question, though, is that what I want to know is how much of this is because the quiverful people are officially, doctrinally, have a quiverful dogma. Right. How much of it is simply that they're conservative religious? How much of it is that they're less educated? You know, uh, there, there's probably a component for each of these things. This sounds like they're they're slapping a name on a— What they would have done otherwise. Uh, yeah, exactly, on something that already exists. You look at—what um, I can't even think of the name of the show. It's The Duggars. Um, it's a— uh, TV show. It's a reality show. Eighteen and counting. I think is is the name of the show. It is enough. They, if only. Um, but they. I think they just gave birth to their eighteenth. Little people, child, big family. And they're uh, they're very conservative, religious. They do homeschooling and and all that sort of thing. And they're certainly they fit into this quiverful mindset. But I don't know that they they use the term yeah. quiverful. I, I, that seems like a label that's being put on people that are already doing this thing. It's not an organized movement. Well, that was another part of the, the quiverful thing is, the, is homeschooling and that a lot of, of them course. do things like, uh, you know, they, that they view that as not only populating the world with like-minded people, but in order to keep them that way, you have to homeschool them and, have to and, isolate, and isolate them, them from, from, from extra. Yeah. And so even, uh, even if there is, let's say, uh, a, a, apostatization rate, uh, certain things right. like, you know, that there's always going to be some that don't join up with a thing. 
for every one that does that, you get two more on We're the We're never going to keep up with the uh, the rates that they're shooting them out this and, happens, and inoculating them. And This happens also in, in unrelated societies like Europe, for example, where the birth rate among the people who are native, Germans, Italians, Spanish, right. is crashing. The only reason their numbers are, are increasing Staying stable in this in that country is because of immigration from people right. from like Muslim countries, Turkish, sure. Turkish people, and things like that. Catholics here are hemorrhaging believers. The only reason that their numbers are kept up, immigrants. From, yeah, from South Hispanics America and, and yeah. Central America. One of the things that I found interesting was an article that you sent me, Luke, from the New Yorker, which was uh, the article's name is "Red Sex, Blue Sex" by Margaret Talbot. Talbot? I thought that was by Do- I thought that was by Dr. Seuss. Uh, Red no. sex, blue oh. sex, me sex, you sex. Shel Silverstein might have wrote that one, yes. but uh, but uh, the giving sex. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, uh, Margaret Talbot uh, writes this article, and it for the New Yorker, um, and it begins by actually making an observation about uh, what happened with uh, Sarah Palin at the Republican oh, convention. Yeah. How after news came out that her 17-year-old daughter, Bristol, was pregnant, a lot of us liberals thought this was going to be scandalous to the Republicans because it showed that you know she didn't have control over her own family. Right. In fact, the, the Republicans uh, circled the wagons, stood behind them, and uh, the article mentions a delegate from Louisiana which told CBS News, quote, like so many other American families who are in the same situation, I think it's great that she instilled in her daughter the values to have the child and not to sneak off someplace and have an abortion. So it's a victory that she didn't have an abortion. Well, that's, the, the, that's the point of the article. The yeah. Yeah. Well, she, the article yeah. suggested this was more than just a political solidarity before an election, that mm. it's actually part of almost there's a need for tolerance of – of young unwed mother- mothers in these evangelical communities right. because it's become such a widespread problem. They have higher rates of teenage pregnancy. They have, they marry at younger ages and, and they divorce then consequently because right. of that. And so the, the point of the article, which is really a paradox for people like liberals and blue staters, is how can you reconcile the, the doctrine, you know, don't have sex, don't do that, with – the higher rates of unintended pregnancies, that they do have sex earlier. They have more unintended pregnancies and all those things. It's it's almost a contradiction. As long as you don't have an abortion, they seem to be fine with that. Right. They quote this article by Mark Regners where he says, on average, white evangelical Protestants make their sexual debut. um, Wow. Yeah. The article says to use the festive term of social science researchers. (laughs) Uh, they make their sexual debut shortly after turning 16. Wow. Yeah, it's not a huge difference, but it is statistically significant that that, that uh, the white evangelicals have sex earlier than – and again, this is what we just talked about before. Some of this is confined with things like education, mother's right, education, right. family, socioeconomic status. But the point is uh, – I think of the article that the re- where religion comes in is that you'd think it would make a difference in the direction of – Delaying sex and uh, not having children. And, and, that would uh, certainly be their hope. But it doesn't. But it doesn't. In, in some ways, it's, it's the opposite. It's only education, and, and it's, all, it's all tied in together. Yeah, whereas, whereas the liberal blue state families tend to have uh, more things like delaying uh, sex and pregnancy, not for moral reasons, but for educational sure. and career reasons. And when they do have well, sex, I guess you it's could more call likely those, to be safe. Yeah, you could call those moral reasons, I guess, too. That, yeah, sure. Um, By the way, didn't Levi leave Bristol? Yes, he did. He got out. He followed Bill Maher's advice and ran. 
That's one of the best Bill Maher clips I've ever seen. <laughs> Free Levi. FreeLevi.com. Let the women folk, Palin women folk handle the kid. They won't know another one. <laughs> they won't even <laughs> notice one at <laughs> that Mormon compound of a home. <laughs> Way to go, Bill Maher. Um, Regnerus's uh, research, he, he said, more important than young teenagers' religious convictions is how embedded a teenager is in a network of family, friends, and institutions that reinforce his or her goal of delaying sex. And so he starts talking about all these things that have become part of this abstinence culture, These, like these weird things, purity balls, they call them, uh, uh, which is that a... yeah, refrain, repress the urge. No, I was wondering if that's a product or if that's a a dance. No, uh, like a cotillion. Oh, okay. And it's creepy. They get yeah. What's in footage where the dad will like basically kind of like have his shepherder's daughter on these purity balls and yeah, she makes yeah. a oh, vow. Yeah. The girl vow dresses him. up like it's her prom night. The but the dad gives, and... the dad is the person who's taking yes, her. Yes, she makes a, a vow to him. If you want to see a good clip of this, uh, look up The Education of Shelby Knox. It's an awesome oh, documentary I've heard of this. that I have some of my students watch because if Shelby, is, she goes to kind of a thing where she pledges to her mom and dad her abstinence. It's almost like a marriage ceremony. Kind of a pseudo thing, oh. yeah. With the yeah. ring and the everything. the girls and the and the fathers uh, exchange rings, and the fathers vow to help them remain virgins until their marriage day. Of course, part of the problem the article points out are just these unrealistic views about what sex is like that they are trying to push on these kids. The article "Red Sex, Blue Sex" uh, says, "quote In the Shelby Knox documentary, a youth pastor addressing an assembly of teens defines intercourse as quote." What two dogs do out on the street corner, they just bump and grind a while, boom, boom, boom. Yet a typical evangelical text aimed at young people called Every Young Woman's Battle by Shannon Etheridge portrays sex between two virgins as an ethereal communion of innocent souls. Quote, the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual pleasure beyond description. Neither is the most realistic or helpful view for a young person to take into marriage. Well, basically, they, they ha- they're they unrealistic in the way that they make it sound as if it's only special when it's like this magical moment between two virgins who are totally clueless, and it's very cute that they're clueless and they don't have experience. Yeah, that makes for the best sex. As much as it's unrealistic to suggest that, you know, always sex is some sordid thing that happens in an alley and then that right. you're going to get pregnant and you're going to regret it and things like that. You know, and one of the things that, they, that again, just like with birth control, they perpetuate is that that they point to statistics showing, oh, look, uh, people that girls that have sex early in life feel anxious and depressed because of it. Yeah, in America, because you led them to think that they should feel. Yeah, uh, exactly. When you look at teens in like uh, Sweden or Scandinavia, th- there's much uh, less of a negative reaction to mm-hmm. having first sex because they're prepared for it that it's no big thing. Right. Which is disingenuous. If you want teens not to feel violated and guilty and everything, maybe don't th- lead them to think that having sex uh, that it's a violation is, is, is some sort of violation. Yep. Yeah. Uh, he also draws the connection between this and, and failed marriages, the very high divorce rate, mostly because uh, they, they marry early. That's the strongest predictor of divorce is, is marrying early at a teen. If you look at the things, if you look at the, just the statistical predictors of, mm-hmm. of divorce, it's early marriage, low education, uh, lack of, of what, what they call like aspirational strategic planning. I'm going to do this with my life. I'm going to go right, to school. Right. So Those when, things yeah. predict pregnancy and marriage. So when they have these shotgun marriages that are the result of uh, you know, poorly informed teenagers having sex, not having protected sex, and now they have to end up getting married because they have a baby – 
or when the children, you know, their hormones are just raging out of control. And so as soon as they possibly can, yeah. they're going to find get a partner. Married. And so I can have sex. I mean, look yeah. at them. The median age for marriage now, I think, is about 24 for women, 24, 25, mm-hmm. and then a little bit more for men, 26, 27. Who is going to stay, you know, abstinent or virginal for that long? Back in 1970, right. like uh, I think the average age of marriage, the median age was like, 20 or 19, half of my students would have been married in college there. Now it's much higher. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so how are you, uh, you know, how does it promote happiness and and adjustment and and lower divorce rates to encourage kids to, you know, you can't have sex until you get married? Right. So now people are marrying the person that they want to have sex with as opposed to marrying the person that they want to be married to. Yeah. There's, you know, in your high school class, there might be three or four eligible people. So good luck. That's your life partner. Pick one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's great that they that these evangelicals are focusing on things like gay marriage as being corrosive yeah, right. to the institution of marriage instead of looking to their own houses and realizing that it's it's their own sexual repression. It's their own culture of purity that is leading to this. And, and ultimately, it's going to be women who are going to suffer the most in these situations. It's going to be women who are forced to have all these children. It's going mm-hmm. to be women who are forced to stay home and take care of them. And a lot a lot of these younger girls probably don't even know, especially if they're homeschooled and other things, don't even know that there are other options out there for them. Mm-hmm. They're just they're just raised from a young age to and think if they're that homeschooled this is and... this is my role as 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 a woman. Well, read the quiverful uh, uh, rhetoric that some of the authors that you mentioned the book that that she writes for the women like that. It's basically saying you're responsible for meeting your husband's needs. Uh, if you're unhappy, that's your own kind of willfulness and independence. You need to to basically sub- subvert that to the broader aim of being a good wife and mother. You know, so it's like essentially that's your role. You're a walking uterus. You're supposed to please your husband. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and where would they get ideas like that? Where would where would silly notions like that come from? The Bible. Yeah, maybe. Uh, which we will check out for this week's edition of Skeptics Sunday School. When it comes to Christian apologetics, one place that we will see the role of women in the church, in society, and the home discussed, a lot of issues like that surrounding women come to a head in this debate over whether or not women should be allowed to serve in the ministry, right? Mm-hmm. Should women be allowed to be pastors, ministers, deacons, elders of a church, and so on? The, the most powerful passage speaking against allowing that, and so a lot of conservative Christian apologists will, will use this argument, they will turn to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34 and 35, where the Apostle Paul says, "'Women should be silent in churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be subordinate, as the law also says.'" If there is anything they desire to know, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shameful thing for a woman to speak in church. That's the point where, as a woman, I would say, screw this. I mean, I I don't understand how a woman can read a passage like that and say, yeah, I'll I'll follow this book. Mm -hmm. I don't get it. Well, a lot of more enlightened Christian apologists who want to see an active role for women will try to argue that that Paul here is speaking about this specific church in Corinth. Mm. This must be some local problem that the uh, believers were having in Corinth. 
a lot of times they point to goddess worship and perhaps some of the other cults there. Maybe the women in those congregations were getting uppity, and that was the problem. Yeah. Um, if you turn to 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15, though, you'll get Paul's rationale for this. Mm. Starting in verse 11, again, let a woman learn in silence with full submission. I permit no woman to teach or have authority over a man. She is to be kept silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became the transgressor. Oh, but but don't worry, oh, there's okay. hope. Uh, yet she will be saved through childbearing, oh. provided they continue in the faith and love and holiness with modesty. So don't worry, women. As long as you remain modest, faithful, and holy and, and bear children, you will, uh, you will receive salvation. Now, notice here that Paul can't possibly be talking about in this First Timothy verse some local dispute right. between congregations because he— he justifies his position by referring all the way back to the creation act itself in the Garden of Eden, Eve being the transgressor. So th- he sees this as being part of the natural order between right. men and women. Which is, of course, using the creation story in Genesis 2 and not the creation story in Genesis 1, where men That's and women true. are created side by side. That's true. The the one in uh, Genesis, uh, woman is created from man. Uh, and Lilith was already Genesis sent away at that two. point and started That's her right. own, She started yeah. her own festival by that point. So. Yeah. <laughs> now, there might be another argument that you could use against some of these misogynistic Christian apologists. However, the more liberal-minded Christians simply aren't going to be able to use it. Um, because unless their theology is very radical, it would suggest something is is seriously wrong with their biblical texts. The argument is actually that passage in First Timothy is most likely not written by Paul. Hmm. It is true that in most of the Pauline epistles that we know were written by Paul. Yes, um, you get a very different view of women. Women are active in the church. I'll just rattle off a real quick list. The Pauline epistles mentioned Phoebe who is a deacon in the church. Priscilla has a church in her home. In fact, she's always mentioned ahead of her husband, Aquila, so we know that she had a... Yeah, except Priscilla is not a real woman. Priscilla is a drag queen. In the desert? Yeah. Check your facts. Oh, boy. Okay. Junia in Romans 16.7 is called the foremost among the apostles. Mm. Acts mentions Lydia uh, became the head of the church uh, that met in her home in Acts 16. And in Corinth, church women pray, they have gifts of prophecy, they have the same spiritual gifts as all the other men, and they actively participate in the church sharing those gifts. So the picture you get, actually, of Paul's ministry is— Women are very active. Women are very active. And you have passages by Paul, like Galatians 3, 27 and 28, where he says, "...as many of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ." There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Jesus Christ. A lot of that sounds like the Gnostic verses as well, where they talk about sex as being obliterated by Jesus, that he has male and female aspects. That's right. Jesus was the third sex. You can see see, uh, in the Gnostic Gospels, of course, there is uh, emphasis on Jesus, uh, women being very active in Jesus' ministry. Like Mary Magdalene. Yep, Mary Magdalene you, you is the, one uh, example. The cup, the the Holy Grail herself. 
She's the, not a cup. She's a person. The Gospel of Thomas, also Luke chapter 8, Mark chapters 14 and 15, have women among the disciples in those crowds that are following Jesus. In every single gospel, we have women present at uh, the crucifixion and being the original ones to notice the resurrection of Jesus. That's one of the only things that all four gospel accounts agree on is that Mary Magdalene was the first one there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And in Luke ten thirty eight verses 42, we get specific instances where uh, women are called to a greater role than their society might have tried to marginalize them into. Uh, let me read that passage real quick. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, housework, she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So affirming hmm. a woman's right to be there at the foot of the teacher, learning rather than doing just those duties that belong to a woman. So Throughout a lot of the New Testament, you actually get a much more inclusive role for women than what would be found in Hebrew society, what would be found in even Roman society at that time. It's fairly progressive. I'm wondering if there's a Greek influence going on. Well, what about, what about of course, uh, these passages where women are not allowed to teach and everything else? Well, that passage in 1 Timothy uh, is most likely written by somebody other than Paul. And there's several things that you can show. Uh, Timothy is part of what we call the pastoral epistles of Paul, which I think most modern biblical scholars do not attribute to Paul. There's about seven, six or seven that are Paul, and then the other half are are, are yeah. questionable Pauls, not not really Paul. Do they call it that because it's fun to say deuteropauline? No. <laughs> no, it's never fun to say deuteropauline. Uh, yeah. Well, there's some with the actual monograph at the or the autograph at the end of somebody else. Like I'm writing this for Paul by and it's some other guy's name. Yeah, supposedly that's uh, taken by dictation. But it is strange that like uh, the letters to the Thessalonians make a big deal about how there's forgeries of Paul's letter, but this is a true letter, and and it's known by its secret mark that only uh, yeah, Paul's letters have. Which it, is a great way to Yeah, to it's apologizing for itself. Forgery. Um, in, in all the confirmed Pauline epistles, Paul seems to think that the world is going to end very soon, and so he's mm-hmm. encouraging yep. people whenever possible not to get married, to live a, a life of celibacy, um, women. He believes that Jesus is coming back within his lifetime. That's right. Yeah, that's right. But then when you get to uh, the pastoral epistles, especially like Second Thessalonians, um, that barely made the cut for the Bible, and uh, that was yeah. one of the ones that was like barely voted in. It goes the in. opposite way. It, it says, you know, the right thing to do is to get married. Let's fight against all these people who are saying, telling people not to get married. And, of course, men are all given roles of authority. And this whole idea about the the end is near, it's coming very soon, that, that doesn't happen anymore. And in those epistles, the idea is, well, the end, it, the end 
some bad things need to happen before the end. It's it's not all that nearby. And don't trust those people who are telling you that it is. So for that reason and, and others, uh, most people toss out these these epistles. We have the same problem as what we did with the Gospels, and that is that they're mutually in some ways contradictory because they're written right. by at different time periods by different people yep. with different agendas. Now, what about that passage in Corinth, though? Women should be silent in the churches. If there's anything they desire to know, let them ask their husbands at home. Now, 1 Corinthians is a legitimate letter of Paul's. The thing with this passage is, though, if you look at the verses directly before it and after it, um, we're talking about the gifts of prophecy. It's thrown right in the middle of this, this little blurb, which actually, if you compare it with the First Timothy verse, seems very, very close. And so some people think that this was a later edition by a copyist. Some misogynist copyist? Yes, some misogynist copyist mm-hmm. is implanting these ideas, these words into Paul. Now, it's, it's, it is possible that Paul is, a, is a, just a hypocrite here. He does no. talk about equality between Greek and Jew and male and woman, slave and free. But we know from like the, the book of Philemon that uh, just because there's no difference between slave and free doesn't mean that you Christians can't, can't hold slaves. You've got to go back. Go back, yeah. Philemon. Go back. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and so, so we know that he uh, – whatever he thought our status was before God, he didn't really feel that we needed to make those changes in society or in, or in Christian congregations. If you, th- if you think the world's going to end soon, that kind of t- takes away a lot of energy to do social justice things and take care of things. But I think what we have here is an example of something we see a lot in the Bible. There are some trends that are trying to counteract inequality. They are trying to raise the status of women. But then we often have, unfortunately, a much more dominant tradition that doesn't see it that way. And also, unfortunately, they tend to make their views much more explicitly known, uh, much more blatant than those passages which, which are inclusive of women. This, of course, is even more true in the Old Testament than it is of the New. Let's take a look at some choice verses from the Old Testament, shall we? Okay, let's do it. Uh, putting aside uh, Genesis to where you have Eve being the uh, the one who brings original sin into the world and all of that. Um, in Genesis 19 verse 8, um, this is when Lot has a couple of angels staying in his house and the men of the town come and they want to have sex with the angels. And Lot says, Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Take my daughters, rape them. Are these the Just same daughters that, that, that got drunk and got, tried to get yeah. lot drunk and have sex with Later them? on in that same chapter, um, after they escape from uh, Gomorrah? Yeah, yeah the destruction um, of Sodom and Gomorrah. They, they run Gomorrah. off and, and hide in a mountain somewhere. And because there are no men around for, you know, another eight feet or so, uh, Lot's daughters decide to get Lot drunk and have sex with him so they can have his children. Turning to Leviticus, which, not surprising, is full of all sorts of uh, rules dictating women. Um, Leviticus 15, verse 19, And if a woman have an issue, and her issue in her flesh be blood. That's great King James setup. Yes. She shall be put apart seven days, and whosoever toucheth her shall be unclean. So any woman who's on her period experiencing her monthly cycle needs to be put away from the rest of, of society for seven days. And if you touch her, you're unclean. With a heating pad or? Yeah. yeah. 
and Leviticus 15, verse 24. And if any man lie with her at all, and her flowers be upon him, O King James, lovely imagery, he shall be unclean seven days, and all the bed whereon he lieth shall be unclean. So women by nature are unclean. Menstruation is a is a filthy, horrible thing. It is a curse. I believe a later verse in, in the uh in the prophets even refers to uh women whose filth are in their sheets or something like that. Um I, yeah, I, something like Didn't that. Didn't they have laundries a... to take care of this? Uh, just yeah. gather up the sheets and uh you know. Thou shalt not approach unto a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is put apart for her uncleanness. So don't see her naked when she's uh, menstruating. Whosoever lieth And the carnal... penalty for that is death, by yes. the way. Yeah, penalty for everything is death. Uh, whosoever lieth carnally with a woman uh, that is a bondmaid betrothed to a husband and not at all redeemed nor – Freedom given her, she shall be scourged. So if a man has sex with a woman who's engaged to someone, this includes rape, then she gets scourged. Yeah, you can turn to Leviticus and Deuteronomy to find a lot of laws like that, which illustrate quite grimly the uh, inferior legal status that God's perfect law apparently thinks they should have. But there are plenty of verses elsewhere that illustrate in general just kind of the horrible view of women that the Bible has, um, such as these lovely verses in Lamentations chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, uh, comparing the nation of Israel to an adulterous woman. It says, uh, they have seen her nakedness, yea, her filthiness is in her skirts. And verse 117, Jerusalem is a menstruous woman. There's lots of passages about tearing open pregnant women. Uh, as the mm-hmm. Israelites invade new places. And dashing the baby's heads. Um, yeah, blessed are they who dash the little ones upon the stones. This is from the New Testament, um, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. It is even better for a man to touch a woman. That's, that's May, that, that's yeah, May West. Yeah. <laughs> Ephesians five twenty three through 24. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Colossians 3.18, same thing. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands. Well, you get the picture. So there's multiple examples of women being unclean, of them being punished for the sins of the men who attack them. Of course, we get this in the Quran as well. And thanks to the Skeptics Annotated Bible for, uh, mm-hmm. for their list. You, you, you occasionally do get instances of female heroes in the Bible, such as uh, Ruth and and some of the judges. The prostitute that helps out Joshua's men take the city by uh, yes. sheltering them. Yeah. You have some of the Hebrew prophets like Hosea. They, they criticize some of the, the inequalities that we just talked about with practices concerning adultery. They point out women are not the only ones who cheat. Uh, that a man is involved too, so why aren't we punishing the men? You do get certain reformist attitudes scattered places in the Bible, but unfortunately, the misogynistic and patriarchal themes in the Bible are just so much more overwhelming. There's, yeah. there's many, many more of them. I, I like, you know, if I were, and maybe I could reconcile this if I, if I tried hard enough. But if I were gay or if I were a woman, I don't know how I could, how I could stomach this damn book. 
I just don't get it. Men, yeah, it works out pretty well for men most of the time, um, so long as they don't care about the rights of women. You know, I, I don't, I just don't, I don't get really it. get that too, because there are some uh, there are some feminist biblical scholars who there are do, a lot. They try to find pro women themes all all throughout the Bible and stuff, and and I don't get it. I, I would just think a better stance would be to just come out like uh, who wrote the women's Bible again? Um, I want to say it was Elizabeth Cady Stanton. I think it was. I think it was. It's been a short book. And yeah. and just uh, well, and she just flat out said, "Look at all this inequality. Look at this horrible." history of patriarchy. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Perhaps it's, a again, just a political move. We we don't want to make it seem like you can't be religious and a feminist at the same time. That's going to be very bad for feminism. And, right. and perhaps that's that's where that motivation comes from. That's with anything else. You could rash, try to rationalize whatever you want. But I mean, it's, pre, it's pervasive in all the monotheistic religions, yeah. basically, uh, more well, so. And, than, and, and even in Hinduism, <clears throat> Hinduism has oh, some yeah. very deplorable views towards women and, and their role in, in the family. Even Buddhism, even, even in the early years of Buddhism especially, they weren't sure if women should be allowed to become nuns, if they should be able to follow Buddhists. In fact, in the time, short amount of time that I was attending a Buddhist Sangha here in Michigan, uh, just to learn more about the tradition, the abbot of the Sangha there actually said that on their last life, so the, the last life they reincarnate to before they become enlightened, Mm-hmm. Um, a woman will become a man because it's easier to reach enlightenment as a male. Isn't there some some Christian tradition too that says that women are not allowed into heaven, that, that like Mary had to be transfigured into a man to go to heaven? There is. And you know what? I don't really know much of anything about it, but I remember mm-hmm. hearing someone talking uh, to – talking about like Jesus. Like at a clinic or in Thailand? Yes. Well, Jesus' Jesus' statements in the Gospels about uh, when people ask if if, uh, if a man dies and his wife marries yeah, another, who, who are – you know, who will she be married to in heaven? And Jesus says it's not like that in heaven. It doesn't work that way. And this guy was saying based off of that and something else that women will all become men in heaven. That's part of their perfection. Gay in sex Christ. in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> Fire Island in heaven. <laughs> We're going to wrap up today with a props list. This is um, this is good news. In Tunisia, a pilot who paused to pray before his plane crashed has been convicted. I love this story. Uh, Yeah. Tunisian pilot who paused to pray instead of taking emergency measures. This is from Reuters, by the way, uh, before crash landing his plane, which killed 16 people. By the way, this is not... This is not the guy who set down the plane on the Hudson River and, and everyone's okay. No, he followed procedure. He, he followed procedure. This guy. Not um, enough time. Going to land. Plane was going down and he stopped to oh, pray. Oh, Lord. Ooh. Thou art also. <laughs> he has been convicted to or sentenced to a 10-year sentence by an Italian court along with his co-pilot. Uh, this happened in 2005. Which was not God. <laughs> <laughs> Had it been. Um, 2005 crash at sea off Sicily left survivors swimming for their lives, some clinging to a piece of the fuselage that remained floating after the ATR turboprop aircraft splintered upon impact. So, yeah, what's that that African um, saying that when you pray, move your feet? 
I think they use that at the end of pass, an inconvenient truth. Pass the ammunition? No, yeah. wait, that's uh, I, I think this guy okay, feel free to, to say a word to your deity. Just don't stop to lay down the your After you've done all your emergency procedures, right. then it's time for rosaries and, and everything it's tough else. to bow to the east when your plane is spiraling in midair. You've got to figure out which direction to, to, keep shifting to go. As it yeah, it's going to hold things up for a while. Um, kudos to the Italian court for recognizing that this was um, a criminal act. If you're God he, and you don't know already that a plane is going to go down with 16 people, it's not much of a God. That's uh, that's yeah. just a that's a bad pilot right there. All right. That's all for this week. Send us your comments, questions, challenges, topic ideas to doubtcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook. Check out our website, www.doubtcast.org. And we will see you next time. To catch up on past Reasonable Doubts episodes or to email your questions or comments, check out www.doubtcast.org. Reasonable Doubts is a production of WPRR Reality Radio. You can find out more about Reality Radio at publicrealityradio.org. Reasonable Doubts theme music is performed by Love Fossil and used with permission.